everybody. Mike Hi. Erie here with uh, a very special guest. Who's here with me? Seth. Seth Erie. Seth, come here. You have been very excited to talk about the Vox podcast. So tell people what's on your mind today. Um, have on mind, please welcome to the show. So everybody, welcome to the Vox podcast. Vox podcast. Summer is hit. Seth, do you have school today? No. Why not? It's summer kitchen. It's summer and kitchen? Yes. Oh, summer vacation. Yes. Oh, nice. I like it. Hey, come here. What? Seth, come here a second. What are we going to do today? Do they go? Going we're gonna go to the water park what else are we gonna do today snuggles and wrestle i love the snuggles and the wrestle perfect and then i wish you could see give us a thumbs up sethy oh perfect i wish you could see the thumbs up i just saw him doing it yeah mommy mommy's in the room too all right hey sethy daddy's gonna go now okay okay all right i love you buddy thank you for talking to the people hi everybody so glad that you are tuning in um, Seth has been so excited. So he'll come in to our little uh, recording studio. He will get on the microphone and he will say, uh, "Welcome, Vox Podcast, Mike and Seth," and it's awesome. So uh, he absolutely needed to be on the on the show today. Um, we're so grateful for you. I want to remind you about where. The whole uh, Vox podcast idea sort of came from. Um, uh, the reason it's called Vox, Vox is Latin for voice. And uh, b- besides the fact that all things are cooler when they're said in Latin, um, we love the idea that Jesus is God's voice uh, to uh, the planet. Um, we think there's something beautiful and compelling about Jesus, but but we think there's increasingly... A uh, disassociation and incongruity between uh, the way of Jesus and the religion that bears his name. And, uh, and so what's happening in lots, uh, for lots of people, particularly as culture is changing so swiftly and uh, we're, we're in touch with people and stories that are so different from ours, uh, people are going through something called deconstruction. And that is the re-examining of the the foundations of their faith. Um, some are walking away from the faith altogether. Uh, others are just realizing, hey, the Bible the Bible isn't as neat and tidy <laughs> as I thought it was, or uh, following Jesus isn't as clear cut as perhaps I thought I thought it was, or you know some of the murky issues. Um, that we're dealing with today, whether it's LGBTQ stuff or, or whether it's uh, political landmines. I mean, it's, it, it's incredibly polarized, incredibly difficult to figure out how to embody Jesus well in today's world. And so we, we our, our goal, if we have one, is to, to be a, an instrument of very gentle deconstruction, to legitimatize people's doubts and concerns um, that that is part of the Christian faith, not separate from it, and that that uh, that process is actually uh, actually a key part of growth. Um, so so we take questions seriously. We uh, we want to be safe to talk about anything, particularly subjects the church hasn't you know usually talked about before. Uh, but it, that's only one part. There are loads of podcasts who focus on that one part. We. Um, along with a few others, want to be an instrument not only of deconstruction, but of reconstruction too. 
um, the, the reconstructing is, is the fact that we move the foundations of uh, the Christian faith uh, from the church or from the Bible um, back to Jesus. Now, of course, church and Bible are part of that, no question about it, but we approach them differently than we did before. Um, and, uh, and we recognize um, a, lot of the, a lot of the questions and the struggles that people are having that for, for many, the Bible is actually a stumbling block to faith rather than an instrument of it. And so we want to continually center ourselves on the beauty and majesty of Christ and his message and, and realizing that for some people, you know, they, they see Jesus as just a great teacher and, and that's it. Hallelujah. There's so much wisdom to be gained from studying his life and teachings. And for others of us, you know, we've given our lives to this. And um, it's very disorienting these days about how it is to follow Jesus faithfully. So we want to be an instrument of very gentle uh, deconstruction and an instrument of very thoughtful reconstruction. We want to help um, uh, help people fix their eyes upon Jesus. And, uh, and then when you do that, the conversations about the Bible, the conversations about church, those sorts of things, they take on a different flavor altogether. So uh, that's the goal. Just wanted to remind you of that. I'm so grateful. Um, the, the podcast uh, for me has become much more, it started just as a hobby because I was looking, uh, I had just resigned a job and was trying to figure out what to do next. And a buddy of mine started one and I thought, oh, I could do this. Um, it has become much, much more than that. It has become a community. It has become um, something that's incredibly encouraging for me to be a part of. And, um, and, and, and there are those of you out there who have very tangibly supported us. And I, I talk about it a lot because um, as, you know, Justy and I are in Ohio, we're trying to figure out what we're doing. There is, there is a, over 100 people that financially support the podcast um, and that are that have been incredibly important uh, to us in this in this journey, um, and and it's not just the financial support; it's the fact that they care enough about us, they care enough about the mission, they care enough about the content to support us in this way. So, if this has been meaningful to you, there are a couple of things you can do: um, like and subscribe on iTunes. That helps uh, keep our podcast noticed by uh, the iTunes algorithms. Um, we have a Patreon page. And Patreon is a way to fund um, artistic endeavors. So a podcast would be kind of fall under that banner. Although <laughs> I don't have an artistic bone in my body, but hey, I'll take it. Um, but there are levels of support that people can give. And um, we have an amazingly generous community. And I, I just, I, I will forever be grateful for those of you that have uh, supported us in this way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it's, this has turned out to be a lot more work than I'd ever thought, uh, just to try to not only stay fresh on current events, but to do study, um, uh, to try to bring interesting perspectives, recruit guests, you know, all those sorts of things. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so if you're interested in supporting us in that way, you can go to patreon.com and, uh, there are different levels of support and different rewards that go with those different levels. And, and if you're a Patreon supporter and have not yet received all of your rewards, um, I, I, I am not administratively, <laughs> administratively gifted. And so it wouldn't shock me that there are a few of you that are like, Hey, what happened? Please email me, email me at uh, hello at voxpodcast.com and uh, I'll make sure you get what's coming to you. All right. Today, I want to start 
a conversation about politics. Now, we did a whole bunch on politics right around the election um, and uh, immediately after it. But I, I want to, I'm inspired by the work of some scholars, um, a guy named Michael Goheen. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, the ever uh, incredible N.T. Wright and then a, a very underrated Pauline scholar named Tim Gombis. I think that's how you, Gombis, Gombis, G-O-M-B-I-S. Um, really, really love uh, his stuff. And he had a blog that, you know, back in the day, um, I remember, uh, you know, benefiting greatly from stuff he'd written on it, but he's got a couple of books about the Apostle Paul. Paul, for me, has always been a bit of a um, mystery, uh, Jesus, love Jesus, fan of Jesus, understand, you know, as best I can, Jesus and his Jewish culture. Paul's been, been hard for me just because I, I react very strongly against, uh, the ways that, that, um, oftentimes Christians sort of read modern categories back into Paul and it make it seem like Paul's preaching a different gospel than what Jesus preached and whatever. Um, and, and the more I study Paul, the more I, I realize, oh, no, no, that's not true. Even remotely, Paul is genius. Um, obviously, he had help. Um, but, but in terms of an ambassador of a Jewish faith now turning to the non-Jewish world, um, he's very, very amazing. And, and, um, and so uh, Gombus had written some stuff uh, way back in the day about Paul and politics uh, that inspired this next several sort of posts. I want to talk about um, how to reconcile faith and politics. I want to talk about how to be political without being partisan. And, and it's so, I mean, it's so toxic. And we all know this, right? Um, uh, we have been, I think our political parties have done a much better job of discipling us than the scriptures have. And, and, and for proof of this, I, I just, I've met people who will simply say, I cannot imagine someone being a Christ follower and voting as a Democrat or for a Democrat. And, and, and similarly, people saying, I cannot imagine being a Christ follower and voting along conservative lines. Um, the fact theologically is that, that you and I, as a Jesus follower, have more in common with a Jesus follower who is a political supporter from another party than we do of somebody who is just not a not Jesus follower who is uh, who values and would echo our political beliefs. In other words, um, the the let's say let's say you're you're not a big fan of Trump. The Trump loving Jesus follower has more in common with you, the progressive loving Jesus follower. Um, than other progressives would have in common with you. I'm like That would be the theological point. And the fact that it doesn't feel that way, the fact that there is such animosity between Christ followers over politics um, is, demonstrates that we've been better discipled by political parties than we have by our local churches. And, and the reason simply is we make our political identity either equal to or more important than the identity we, we have as citizens, as citizens of the kingdom of God. And we'll all say, of course, that in theory, yes, we are citizens of, political, uh, of, the, of the kingdom of God, and that is secondary to our politics. But that's not how anyone acts, and that's not how anyone communicates to each other, and that's how, not how anyone argues. 
And, um, and so what's happening in our world is, is, you know, I, I mean, I don't even need to illustrate it. It's just the, the water we swim in. It's the air that we breathe. It is, it is absolutely toxic for us. And, and I find myself falling into it as well. I mean, my personal opinions about uh, our president aren't incredibly favorable. And um, I think that uh, I, I, there are things I feel deeply about um, that that I would do much differently uh, were I in charge, um, and 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 the people, some of the people that are so you know fervently um, anointing him as God's candidate. I mean, I really struggle um, with with doing that, and I struggle with what I think it's doing to Christian witness and why it is that so many people are leaving and exiting the faith who are younger, I mean, I think this is all tied together. And so I have very, very strong opinions about it. But um, I, I want to learn how to be political without being partisan. I, I want to learn how to engage in social media, how to engage in political talk and practice without reading everything through the lens of, you know, progressive versus conservative. Uh, that, that is simply we're, that we're doing greater harm uh, to the cause by engaging in political discourse the way that we do, then being either right or wrong about our politics. So I think this is incredibly, incredibly important. Whenever I get into politics, and, and this, this comment, I have to admit, that pisses me off. And I'm sorry for the P word, but that's the mildest word I can get away with right now. Um, the, anytime I, I start to get into politics, people will say, hey, just stick to preaching. Love you, love you as a preacher. Stick to preaching, like <laughs> stay in your lane. And, you know, this is when obviously athletes will do this. Hey, just dribble the ball, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and what I want to say is, um, and, and what I want to show is that preaching is political in its very nature. And the gospel that we proclaim is political in its very nature. And, um, and the politics, you know, when you talk about Jesus, you can very much get into, and it's very easy to enter uh to uh, to enter into political conversations around the teaching of Jesus, it's much harder, I think, with Paul, because Paul has kind of this reputation, and I certainly held that this was true of him. That he's more just the hey, the individual salvation guy, um, but I don't think that's true, uh, and and I think there there's a lot that that Paul does and illustrates that is incredibly relevant for how we po be political in our day. So. Um, this is me channeling other scholars, of course, not, not a surprise there. I'm not nearly as smart as this, but I want to react to the political climate we're in, to the fact that we've been discipled by political parties, um, better than we've been discipled as uh, Jesus followers. And I want to once and forever deal with the stick to preaching <laughs> motif. So, um, the, the relationship of course, between the, the church slash Christians and politics has been very, very difficult. Um, and we've seen it in, you know, the history of American evangelicals in politics. We've seen the pendulum swing, you know, from, from radical separation to uh, unbelievable engagement, right? I mean, for some, politics and Christian faith are best kept completely separate. In fact, they would argue that politics, by any political engagement, will necessarily, in virtue of it being politics, will pollute your faith. So you cannot be involved in politics 
and keep your faith pure. Nothing but trouble um, awaits those who begin to become politically active. And uh, that, that ultimately our faith in God is a private, uh, private matter. It's not a political issue or a political thing. And, um, and so very often you'll hear people who hold this view, you know, use, hey, this is the lesser of two evils kind of thinking. And this was very much uh, a reason given for voting for, for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton or Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. The other end of the spectrum, of course, um, is is absolute engagement, the part of the Christian faith. So, so one view says the Christian faith itself is antithetical to uh, politics. The other view says, no, no, it's, it's because of my Christian faith that I am politically involved. Um, and like it's my Christian duty, and I've heard people use this language. It's my Christian duty to be informed about issues, um, to vote. To, um, to use the political processes for righteous ends. We're given this unspeakable privilege of voting that the vast majority of human persons have never, ever, ever enjoyed. And, um, and so what, what, becomes, you know, what becomes true is in the name of, of being informed, you're listening, consuming to talk radio or conservative progressive media and find yourselves in echo chambers or whatever it is where you're just, you're, you're, you know, your biases are always being confirmed by somebody out there. Um, and, and you find your primary allegiance um, when it comes to very important cultural issues uh, to almost be exclusively along party lines. Uh, and, you know, your opponents are the political opponents um, of the other side. And so, so on the one hand, you've got people who say, no, no, the Christian faith is apolitical and should not be politicized whatsoever. And you've got other people that say, no, no, it's because, I mean, our, it's our Christian duty um, to be political, to vote, to be informed and those sorts of things. So there, there's obviously a ton of disagreement over how to do this. And, and, and I, they're obviously really good, Jesus loving people on every side of this issue. They're, they're incredibly, um, cause I know them. I mean, I, I can point to people who are incredibly Jesus loving people who like what Donald Trump is doing for the country. And there are incredible Jesus loving people who hate what Donald Trump is doing to the country. Um, the issue I have is when, the 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 Trump your feelings about Trump um, Trump uh, your identity is as brothers and sisters in Jesus of course I mean and and I and I'm guilty of this uh, obviously guilty of this and that's why I can pick it out now the the point I'm going to make over the next uh, couple of podcasts is that Paul that 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 Paul could only have seen um, his message in political terms. That the gospel is inherently political. So there's no such thing as preaching and staying away from politics. Preaching is political. The church is political. The gospel is political. We're going to illustrate that through this guy named Paul. Um, now, now, we even me saying that, some people are like, yeah, and, they, and, and you'll pack that with all sorts of meaning. Some people say no, and they'll pack that with all sorts of different meaning. He, we have to get back to what political means. Political has been unbelievably corrupted by the way and the value system uh, of uh, U.S. politics. So, so we have to reject our modern notion of, of political. 
So our, our, our idea of politics has been shaped by um, presidential and congressional election cycles, um, the, the national political politics of a two-party system. That has radically shaped how we understand politics. It's binary. Um, we're radically shaped by cable news and um, social media. Uh, that make money from stirring up our anger and demonizing those who disagree and polarizing viewpoints. Um, so, so we the politics has really been polluted by the way they're practiced in the United States. So when I say that Paul is political, you can't read political as in democratic two-party system every two years and then presidents every four years, you know, um, special interest groups. I mean, Paul was not aware of any of those things, obviously. And nor was he a fan of American, you know, Western individualism and uh, uh, what, what a democracy would turn out to be. So when we have to kind of start by redefining our terms, and, and we did this during the Jesus and Politics series. By politics, it just all we mean by politic is um, our, it's the ordering of our life together. It, uh, it, it, it is um, the way in which we uh, exercise authority and structure through human culture. It's the proper ordering of social practices and relationships. How do we how do we agree on economic exchange? Um, what are the labels and categories of human interaction? All of that uh, is political, and th- and that's something that the minute human beings existed, human beings had to engage in politics in this sense. How were how were human beings going to relate to each other and to the world? And the ordering of of how that happens is what's what we mean by politics. Politics has to do with social behavior in something called a polis. Polis is a Greek term that. Um, that meant and referred to ancient cities and all that held them together as a cohesive unit, as a cohesive social and cultural unit. So the polis is made up of, um, of people who engage in politics. Politics is just the working out of how a polis coheres together um, and, uh, and works itself out economically, socially, so on. So the polis um, is uh, the organized structure uh, that, that is somehow put into place to, to govern our life together. And politics then is just the, the a practical outworking of how our uh, lives together are ordered. All right now, if that's all we mean by politics and if that's all we mean by political, then um, you can already see that Paul preached a political message in in the following respect. He first proclaimed the lordship of Jesus over everything, not just the spiritual life, not just the um, forgiveness of sins, but over everything. If you were a follower of Jesus, Paul will go on to say, secondly, that, that all of your life should be reordered around this followership. The way that you have social relationships in your home is reordered. The way that you have, um, the way that you approach people outside the faith is reordered. Uh, your ec- economic practices are reordered. Like there, there isn't, there isn't one part where God is is Lord, um, and then and then you kind of can do whatever you want with the rest of it. There isn't a private, public, um, dichotomy. There isn't a sacred. Um, secular dichotomy. This was all one 
like one bundle, one thing that would be worked out together. So Paul very, very clearly, and he, and he announces that the, the church, the churches are, are the people who live under the gracious reign of Jesus, that those churches constitute an alternative polis. Um, they are an, uh, they are political. They're they're an alternative way of ordering and understanding social life together. Um, now rearranged uh, in virtue of the resurrected Christ's presence among them through His Holy Spirit. So the church is the body politic of Jesus. The church is an alternative polis in the midst of a greater polis. So when he talks about the church in Philippi, he's talking to a polis in a polis, if you will. He's, <laughs> I felt like Stephen A. Smith for a second. Um, he, he's talking to people building, a, not a rival, but an alternative social order than the one that is being presented um, by whatever government in whatever city um, the, the readers are encountering this letter within. And so Paul's letters, when you read them like this, they're not a, a bunch of instructions about, well, church, you got to do this, you got to do that. No, what he's doing is he's actually re-discipling um, people about how to engage in the greater polis as now a member or a citizen of, of Jesus's kingdom. And it's absolutely fascinating how they're to treat each other differently, how um, their social and economic practices are to be regulated. There are new social rules and norms to be embodied because of the kingdom. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. So we'll get to all of that because I think there's a beautiful, beautiful way to understand church and a beautiful, beautiful underway to understand, to, uh, way to understand the gospel. Now, to appreciate, and this is where Gombus, Tim Gombus or Gombus, uh, did some incredible, incredible work. To understand uh, how this plays out, you need to understand a bit about Paul's thinking. Paul obviously wasn't always a Christian. Paul uh, has a very famous conversion story in the book of Acts, where prior to meeting Jesus, Paul is persecuting the church. After meeting Jesus, Paul now is spreading uh, the church and people don't even trust him. He had such a negative reputation as someone stamping, trying to stamp out the Christ followers that the Christ followers after his, um, after his conversion are very suspicious of him. Um, and so there is a definite before and after to Paul's message and Paul's practices. And Gombus makes a really good point that, that this before and after illustrates this, a similar conversion that you and I have to make regarding our politics and how it is to be political in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes narrating the, the worldview that Paul would have and showing how political and geopolitical that was. And then what we'll do next time is we'll actually show, okay, so after he meets Jesus, a lot of that is transformed um, by the kingdom of God, but he still understands salvation and uh, his message and his mission in very political terms. All right. So, but they've been transformed, of course, by his encounter with Christ. So uh, this is the next 15 minutes is just the grand, I called it the grand story of Paul's thought, right? Paul wasn't familiar with Western individualism. He wasn't familiar with democracy. He was shaped, of course, by the Hebrew scriptures. He was shaped by Israel's story. For better and worse, he'd been shaped by that, you know, for his whole life. Now, in the, the story of Israel, of course, the one true God creates everything. 
and the one true God as the pinnacle of the created order, um, creates and nestles the first humans into a garden called Eden, and he commissions them to build culture. He commissions them to fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it doesn't mean pillage it. Subdue it means, the word is kabosh, which is awesome, Uh, but it means to bring order, to bring purpose, um, to engage in politics in, in, in one very real sense, to order how life on the earth will be lived in relation to creation, in relation to the humans, and in relation to this God who made it. So um, so for the creation story begins with the, the power of the one true God speaking the universe into existence, nestling what are effectively image bearers. They're vice regents. They're like co-governors. Uh, they have authority. They have, they have agency. They have power to take something that God is laden with potential and to now push it forward, to move it um, and order it in ways that are not only um, uh, benevolent and beneficial to the other humans and the creation itself, but they accurately reflect God's character um, in, in creation. In, in, in other words, that they're, they're image bearers, they're imaging God to creation, and they're, they're reflecting creation back to God is the idea. Of course, and, and we know that in, in the Hebrew Bible, um, this only lasts for a very short time. And um, the, the, the first humans no longer, they rebelled against God's rule. They no longer sought um, to rule creation in the name of the one true God. They no longer desired to cultivate the shalom that was, that was true of their existence prior to this moment. Um, they no longer existed in harmony with each other or, or with creation itself. They allowed um, the spoiling of, of creation, the, the, the entrance of sin and death into creation, and we get... Um, we get kind of what we have now, fragmented social relations, uh, judgments, gossip, slander, murder. I mean, Genesis 3 through 11 sort of uh, shows the unweaving of the fabric of uh, the social order that God intended. And the humans are, instead of now using uh, their agency and power for good, now they're actually bringing corruption to the creation they were supposed to benevolently um, um, exercise and govern. And so in response to this, God does something geopolitically. He, he calls a nation forth from one man, Abram. And um, Abraham we meet in Genesis 12. He just shows up out of nowhere after a brief genealogy. Uh, Abram is given a promise. He's given a promise of blessing. He's given a promise of land. He's given a promise that, that through him uh, and numerous descendants, blessing will come to the rest of the world. And so this thus begins the creation is act one, fall uh, or the tarnishing of Shalom is act two. Act three is the beginnings of redemption. And, and God begins to redeem through the, the calling of one man, Abram, and his family, forming, promising to form them into a, um, a nation, to a, a political entity, and uh, where God would be their king, um, and blessing would come through this one nation to all the nations of the world. Now, God gives, them, gives Israel, ultimately, after he rescues them, they become very numerous. They find themselves enslaved to Egypt generations later. God rescues them through something called the Exodus. 
And then God gives them a very unique job description. They had domestic policy and they had foreign policy. Domestically, um, Israel was to be the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. And, and they were to do that by being something called a holy nation or a kingdom of priests. They were to represent God to the nations and to lead the nations in the worship of the one true God. And, and from the very beginning, this is a political vision. It, it, it involved um, both domestic and international relations. Domestically, they were to be holy. They were to have an internal life that was completely different. They were to have social norms that were completely different. They were to be a nation of justice and compassion, looking out for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the stranger. There was to be no one in need among them. I mean, th- this when you read the Old Testament, it's not just God giving rules. It's God shaping a, a polis, a nation. And he's doing it in a way to stand out That's what holy means. They were to be a standout nation among the nations that would serve as a magnet to pull the other nations to the worship of the one true God. If Israel were obedient to the commands God had given her, um, then then um, the nations would see this is a this is an, Israel was a nation of justice and a nation of compassion and a nation of mercy and a nation um, that, of, of of stark difference from all the other nations of the world. Um, and so so part of their job description was domestically internally they were to live by a completely different set of uh, ordering uh, of social norms. Their foreign policy. Um, what was interesting, while maintaining a distinct identity, they were to welcome the nations. They were to be a blessing to the nations. They were to um, demonstrate the goodness of God to the nations. They, they were to trust God for their military. Uh, they were to trust God for his protection. God is constantly telling them, do not trust in chariots and horses, trust in the Lord your God. Um, God rebukes them for making military alliances. God, I mean, God, their, their like foreign posture was to be one of weakness and vulnerability. And if they, so they were to be holy in a kingdom of priests, but they were then to be uh, a light to the nations, uh, to be welcoming of the nations, to be serving of the nations.